0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today I have in the studio Tom Zimney, very talented director who's done a lot of things. He has been for some time a key collaborator of Bruce Springsteen. And he is the co-director of the new movie, Western Stars. And your co-director is another guy people might have heard of. This is Bruce Springsteen himself this time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Hey, tune. Good morning.
0: So people don't realize, as we were discussing before the show started, this is Bruce's debut as a feature film co-director, but there actually was a previous venture in which you guys were co-directors. And it's a short film that I'm actually really fond of. It's for the song Hunter of Invisible Game. And it's sort of like the thriller video in that it's an extended video to the song Hunter of Invisible Game, which is one of Bruce's kind of most underrated and lovely songs from the album High Hopes, although he had actually written it a few years earlier. I hold
1: my ditch, built me an ark,
0: go for wood and pitch sat down by the roadside and waited on me. I am a hunter of invisible
1: game. Yeah, that was a great experience, and the first time that we got into a space of collaborating together in the edit room, in shooting. And that also has the familiar journey of what the current film, Western Stars, was, which is we got together, didn't have a plan to collaborate, it just evolved. And the difference between Hunter, for me, was... That Bruce was just there in an active role in discussing the narrative and the visual approach to telling that story. That song was a great track to work with. It was a, a very cinematic track with the strings. And we both talked for about a year about making it into a video. And it was the end of the tour and the album was out for a while. And Bruce just decided, let's make it into a short film. And I had the same cinematographer work with me at that time, Joe Salvo, and he had a great eye. The same cinematographer who shot Broadway and also the current film Western Stars. But that was a great experience because he's also started to sketch in the edit room and compose. So that was the first time we collaborated together that way, but also that he was building a score.
0: Yeah, there's actually an additional piece of music. It might be the single most obscure piece of Springsteen music in that you have to go and the only way you can hear it is in the short film, but it's a low lovely atmospheric score that builds into the song.
1: Yeah, watching Bruce and Ron work together in the studio is great because like Western Stars now, I would be able to experience that collaboration and his score for Western Stars was really important to bring the film to a whole other level with the voiceover that he wrote for it and uh, we started out with a traditional concert film and just started exploring How can we push this, you know? And um, one of the things was this idea of score between the songs. And and it was a very filmic experience.
0: So what was your understanding of the reason that this was not a tour that you filmed, but just a one-off Barn concert? Was that ever articulated? You know, the call
1: I got from John Landau first, who said, uh, Bruce is going to check in and say hello. And uh, he's got a few ideas. I think we want to film this new album live and have a show. And from there, started the dialogue with Bruce of, you know, what happened? Have we worked on before? And how have we captured the live music? And we talked about live in New York, Barcelona, we talked about the recent project of Springsteen on Broadway. And the one thing that I sensed right away was he had a different role in the dialogue. He was really open to going to the spaces with me and, and checking out stages and looking at sketches of what the orchestra would look like on a stage. And we really spent a lot of time discussing how to present this. And also talked about the idea of doing a video. And the video took place in this barn and when we were making the music video especially it just seemed like this is our location to capture this whole album from beginning to end and sonically this is a film you have to see in the theater you have to hear the mix it's shot in a way for the theater and sonically the barn itself captured this album in such a powerful cinematic way. Yeah, I was the saying, strings. I, the,
0: are... I saw it in the uh, Dolby screening room which not everyone can get to do, you know, so I got the best possible version of it, but I can say as I was telling you before and it's an incredible surround mix. And yeah, you really get a sense of you're there. It's done at the top level of Dolby mixing, what's it called? The uh, Atmos, Dolby a- Atmos. Atmos. So which, there's a real three-dimensionality to it. You know,
1: with Bruce, he has this team of people who come on board and, and I've got to say George Travis was huge and helping that production side of how do you bring that many cameras into a barn and how do you capture the audio we had John Cooper and Bob Clearmountain involved and um, we had mics all over so the strings that are in the film were captured you know with mics hanging from the barn ceiling. So mixing in the sound stage in Warner Brothers, we were able to create that ambience of what was felt that day.
0: How early in the process did you have a sense because you've done stuff for HBO, you've done stuff for Netflix, but this is the first theatrical release. How early did you get a sense that, hey, we're gunning for the theaters this time?
1: The moment I heard Bruce's writing and the script that he wrote, I knew that it was a movie in my... But the editor just knew immediately, we've just taken it up another level. And watching him do that voiceover and, and then putting images over that voiceover together with bruce that's when things started to come together and the film stepped up to a level of being a movie and um you never know where it's going to land and there's so many different platforms and streaming and things like that but from day one i talked to bruce and really tried to honor the music sonically it is a widescreen sonic experience when you listen to that record especially when you hear it live in the barn. So we shot it in a way that really played up those things, like these wide shots and overhead shots of the strings. and. You know, it's really made for a movie experience. It's not your iPhone for you sure. know, concert.
0: <laughs> Another thing that you did with, I think, zero audience was a full performance of the Darkness on the Edge of Town record at the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park. And that is a very powerful document in its own right. Thank you. Did that play any, that memory of doing, because I guess you had a tiny audience. It wasn't fully audience free, but were there uh, a similarity there?
1: Uh, no, the Darkness shoot was really stripped down to just crew and three people clapping, and I think it was John, George, and Barbara. (laughs) So that was a very different experience. And at that point, also, I was just beginning to sketch and understand what I wanted to do trying to capture Bruce's music with camera. So this experience, I had come off working on Springsteen on Broadway. So I had a lot of things I could try there. And um, also, sonically, it's just so different. The Darkness album and the power of Western stars and the stories, you know, the narrative is just so different. And then add Patty on top of that. It was a very different narrative and emotional experience to go through. Darkness, I had shot right after the making the documentary for a long period of time. And I knew there's certain things I wanted to get across visually, and there's certain key moments that I wanted to convey. But Western Stars, I felt like uh, I wanted to push camera in a certain direction with Bruce, and we talked about it. And also the editing, the pacing, when to change the camera's angle, when to linger on his face. There's such beauty in some of the quiet pauses of these songs. Like, Chasing Wild Horses just lends itself to a cinematic experience.
0: Time. It's all just through. You come rolling across my mind. Your hair flashing like wild horses.
1: That a camera can drift three-quarter around Bruce, you know, it got away from this language of some of the other live concerts where camera didn't move as much. So I was really set up to have dolly tracks cam, crane but really tried to remain invisible you know western stars was that first technicolor experiment of let's shoot this as a film and then bruce really was such a guiding force in all this and pushing me and we were working off of the energy of each other in the room because there would be moments i'd be editing and he would um, pick up the guitar and start scoring as i was cutting so i was really responding to the sonic qualities of being in his studio space cutting having direct access to him constantly while cutting and then also he was pushing the film delivering this voiceover in a script that just made it something way beyond a making a video People sit around like he joked and said they liked working with him and everything is fine. This was an examination that felt very close to the book. The themes and the ideas that he talked about on the Broadway show, this felt like a part of that journey. In some ways, it's a trilogy of sorts with Western stars.
0: Yeah, he kind of came in after one day, like wrote all that stuff and came in with it, right? Kind of surprised you with it? Yeah,
1: I don't think I'll ever get used to watching... Bruce deliver something in sometimes what it seems like seconds. You know, it's like there. It was a call one day where he said, "I was up last night writing. I watched the movie Come On By, and that was the script." In working with him, I've seen him fine tune and hone in on details continuously. You know, the reworking of a word, the delivery, the sonic qualities of how he delivers those little moments between songs, the way he delivered the read of it. You know, the performance. He was really in a quiet meditative place that ends up making it feel a little bit like a tone poem and it's very very clear it comes off it's not a casual conversation but it's not forced at the same time so sonically even though he wrote it pretty fast he tweaked it and worked on it to the very end
0: well it's interesting I hadn't thought of it until you said just now but he had just come off of Springsteen on Broadway where for months he was doing kind of reads where he was practicing this sort of spoken part of his art more than he'd ever had in his entire career I mean you know I guess there's all that storytelling in the early days but it never was was a script in the same way. So I guess he ended up perhaps maybe drawing on that experience in the narration here. I
1: think the narration does have a tonal quality of some of the moments of Broadway. I also think that there's something different about it because the Broadway show was having the reaction of an audience and this was a quiet, meditative delivery in his home studio with his engineer, and myself. So there's an intimacy that comes across when I watch it as a viewer that I just recall is the space that he would read these things in. It works in breaking up the film to be, in some ways, it's not a documentary, it's not a concert film, and it's its own thing. And uh, I thank him for that.
0: Bruce's role as co-director, how did that sort of manifest itself most broadly?
1: You know, like all great things with Bruce, it was never discussed. I never said to him, We're going to share credit, and he never said to me we're going to share credit. I don't think we talked about it until the press tour and film festivals. But for me, there was no question. He was in the process from day one. That was different. It stepped up to the space of like Hunter Invisible Game, where uh, he was sending me texts and sending me images or sending you know just ideas, and we had constant communication. So, what kind of images would he send you? No, sometimes it would be a reference of a photograph he took. And sometimes it was like a color palette. And when we were going out to shoot things with the desert, he had talked about details that he wanted to get and the type of car and the magic hour and the light, you know. And those details are back and forth and consistent when making films. And when I was uh, mixing, he was there in L.A. When I was going through the color correction process of going through each shot, Bruce was there. He has a wonderful visual sense, and I think he jokes and says that I gave him the credit, but actually, you know, he was in the cave, the edit room. It's very much like the studio and it has that intensity and focus. And it's been a great trip to a journey on this one to watch it start from a conversation on the phone of let's just film the new songs to now opening up as a film in theaters.
0: What were some of the references as far as the palette and the look of the film?
1: You know, some of the references I remember talking about some Western cowboy imagery and the oranges and the reds they used and some of the isolation of Paris, Texas and that photography. The uh, palette of the barn was really important to have certain total qualities come across. And I relied on my cinematographer, and but I also relied on the beauty of Jeff Rabbits, who's been with Bruce for many, many years and captured a visual quality in the barn that, you know, just conveys the emotional content of the lyrics, but never makes it feel like a lit show. And I think the combination of those guys and Color Correct things like that really bring the film to a place of living on its own and not being a, a concert film It becomes more of a, a mood piece is what I'm trying to say
0: did Bruce ever put in words what he wanted for the look is there, is there something you could convey about
1: it? sure at this point there's a shorthand that's a reference to films there's like you know the desert qualities of Paris Texas or the searchers or a certain camera shot could easily be referenced as having a western's 50's look just by how you place the camera shooting the landscape, or how far the car is in the shot, or the point of view of distance, of having Bruce walk with a depth of field being a certain way. It evokes a shorthand to like, oh, that works. That's this film, or that feels like the tone that we were trying to get with this photograph. And also with Bruce, the big thing was believing in the spontaneity of the cutting room, you know, going to home movies and finding an image in the home movies that just works. And I had nine cameras, and as a director, you try to come up with all kinds of things. And my favorite moment in the movie is Bruce putting a camera on the hood of a car and shooting him and Patty during their honeymoon. Right. You know, there's just such beauty in that. So you have this great balance of preparing, talking, thinking, references of films, stills, and then also being completely open to whatever the film gods throw you. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was raining and we were cutting the sequence of Moonlight Motel. And I reminded Bruce that a long time ago, I took all the home movies and transferred them to DVD. And and in that moment, we loaded some of them in, and he remembered this moment at the cabin. And all of a sudden, you land with the perfect visual that represents so much of the themes in the movie that chose a personal side, but it's nothing that you could ever plan. It's nothing you could ever script. Here we'll cut to home movies. You know That's, uh, for me, the magic of filmmaking and the trust. That's the key thing, trust in time.
0: And I was gonna pull back and talk a little bit about the earliest genesis of the project. The project wouldn't exist, obviously, without the album. You know, you filmed a lot of sessions over the years. You filmed a little bit, maybe, of the album sessions for this album? Yeah,
1: I attended a couple of sessions, Tucson Train, and western stars in new jersey with bruce and ron and they had recorded the strings and i used a little bit of it in the tucson train video so i got to hear this music early on and it was so exciting you know just i couldn't wait for it to get out there
0: it's interesting it it feels so vital and now and so core to his kind of narrative especially when you see the movie attached and yet some of it was sitting around since like 2009 in some ways Yeah,
1: I I think some of it was around for a bit, but I don't know the exact process, but I know working with Bruce that he is always working and fine-tuning it with Ron, and in many ways, I don't even think about when the songs were written, because it just works now off the heels of... Broadway in the book. And I welcomed it as a fan that the sonic quality of the strings were just this new direction. And I just felt like the writing was so powerful.
0: And it kind of speaks to the correctness of his strategy where he's working on a number of things, many things the public has no idea of, and he releases them when it's time. And that's Yeah, what I mean, about.
1: that's the big thing for me as a fan, which is I leave it up to Bruce when to release something because it does make sense now and I enjoy the body of work and the narratives, so I kind of forget when I first heard it. I did hear a demo of Western Stars uh, while made, yeah, yeah, while making a Hunter Invisible game. But in some ways, it, it makes perfect sense now.
0: the sessions that you saw, what was the vibe? Because that was an early orchestral uh, thing going on there.
1: Filming those sessions, what I recall was the excitement Bruce had with the strings being in the room, the sonic quality, and watching him work with a conductor, and then also with Ron. You know, you would hear a demo, and it would have a sense of what the strings would be doing but then when the strings arrive in the room much like when I first came to the rehearsals of Western Stars and for the film when you hear an orchestra tune up it's so powerful, it's so magical and uh, the sessions had that feeling that this was a new direction and Bruce again was challenging our understanding as fans of what the music would be and and the lyric writing at the time it's just...
0: So what you heard is, because I've been lucky enough to hear some of these, not for this album, but working in my Springsteen book, I was lucky enough to hang out with Ron, and Ron played me some demos and unused tracks for songs, and what you hear is Bruce kind of sketches out string parts on synthesizer. Yeah. And you can kind of hear this, so that's what you heard the Western Stars version of that. I heard the Western
1: yeah. Stars demo, and you know, what's amazing is that the strings have the signatures that you can go back to, and it's in the early demos. There's key moments in the sound of Western Stars, the final album and the live concert in this film now that were there just in the demos and uh, that kind of blows me away because i'm not a musician they're very simple things, but they linger and they create such emotion. And I'm always excited to know that if I'm being moved by the demo, I can't imagine when he gets to the place of having the strings fill the space. So. And
0: the thing about the movie is that you get the full impact of the orchestra probably even more so than on the album. You said that Bruce didn't articulate even to you. He hasn't directly said to anyone why there wasn't a tour for this album. But we can guess. I mean, you know, first of all, he's been talking about a East Band tour and that's not bad. And, but on the other hand, there's just the fact that there's how how many pieces were in the orchestra that you I think it
1: was like over 30 so if you imagine that in an arena environment you would lose that intimacy and the songs for me as a filmmaker I connected to the songs and their pacing and the timing of the delivery of lines you know chasing wild horses I referenced before there's this moment where he just pauses and then the music kicks back in that little pause you don't want to have that experience you know in an arena It has the quiet that I recognize from like the Devils and Dust tour or the Ghost of Tom Joe tour, where the silence itself is part of the composition. And I really wanted to respect that as a filmmaker. That's why, working with Bruce, we literally would time out the fades between the songs and the breath between the songs. It was really important. That's why I think also he put a note online saying, "You hold back from the clapping till the end if you feel it. Which I think, I've had the experience where people have done that, and it's really amazing. It becomes this different rhythm as a viewing experience and I think also you get to take in what was just said and then the performance of the song and then you get set for a new idea I think if you clap it, it just kind of takes you out and puts you more in the concert environment
0: well you know on some of his soul tours uh, Bruce would literally tell the crowd <laughs> to jokingly to shut the fuck up since he can't personally come around to every screening and say that that's <laughs> exactly he's released the note but it, it is true there's two different there's the raucous East Street band experience but then there's things that demand silence and space and this is very very much in that that tradition
1: i mean the beauty of ron mathis uh rob mathis excuse me who's the string a, a, arranger string yeah. arranger and yeah. you know the moments of patty singing with bruce the duet there's a lot of things going on, on screen that just translate on camera in this really beautiful way that's subtle and that you have to be kind of in the zone of listening to the music intently it's just the kind of thing where you know, yeah it's not a stadium environment
0: the rehearsals for this performance i think you said you shot a little bit but you were around for all of it. So what was it like? I mean, this is a, a group of musicians that some of them played on the album, some of them didn't, some of them we've never seen with Bruce before. So what was that like seeing him just get this band up to snuff? Well, I'm sure that, you know, up to snuff, but getting the performances to where he wanted.
1: I think in my 20 years, I sometimes I feel like I'm a bit green with the experience because I didn't know what to expect when this orchestra was there. I arrived and um, I was blown away because Rob had worked with this orchestra in getting every detail of the album. And I had listened to the album enough to know that there were certain bass lines that felt this way here, or there's a certain instrument coming in. And um, I said to Rob, it's amazing. It has all the details that I know of the songs. And he said, well, we're treating it like a sacred text, Mm. which meant that he talked and worked with this group of musicians to a place that they got their parts down and got all the sounds from the record down. And then Bruce literally walked in, not meeting the band and could just go and film.
0: So Rob actually worked not just with the string section, but with the entire band.
1: Yeah, and really made sure that all the parts and all the complicated things that Ron and Bruce had worked on were there in the score, were there for the concert event. And later on, those elements kind of creep into the score. That's why sonically they work together so well. But it wasn't reinterpretations of these tracks in that way. It stayed faithful to the tempos and the details of the string. And it worked because the barn itself makes this album a whole other space. I mean, when you see it in the movie theater, that's what comes across is, for me as a fan, it's like I get to see a concert that could never exist anywhere else. It literally is a family barn and 12 really lucky friends.
0: It's fascinating that these performances work as something fresh and different while being so reverent to the album versions. That's really interesting. It is
1: fascinating, but I give it to the sonic quality that was captured in the barn itself. There's just an energy in live recordings, and that's what comes across in this film. And just the excitement of, you know, Bruce was in front of the orchestra. He was turning them to them as a band. You see him directing and conducting them physically, you know, the way he's playing the guitar. And then all of a sudden Patty's added to the Moonlight Motel and Stones and it becomes a different song. Yeah. The story becomes different. So it was faithful, but there was a lot of really important changes that happened, and most of them as a director, I didn't know about. I didn't know that Patty was gonna arrive and sing on those two songs. I didn't know we were gonna do Rhinestone Cowboy until like three minutes before it was scribbled onto huh. a set list.
0: Like a rhinestone cow- That makes it a little hard to do uh, blocking for, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and but I think Bruce
1: is great that way in keeping you on your toes and just really, you get ready, you prepare, but you just get ready to go anywhere. It's an audible, like the band. If you've been watching the shows of the East Street Band, then you know how to approach the job, which is really be ready for anything. And, you know, he has said that he included Rhinestone because it really brought the film up. The night of music, not ending on moonlight, was important. And I think Rhinestone was just great because it had a lot of the sonic qualities of the other music that he had written and it has a touch of sadness to it too that works within the narrative
0: yeah it was a nice surprise again it's not a surprise anymore for most people but nonetheless for the early screenings it really was a nice surprise because we had absolutely no idea it was coming it's kind of delightful
1: i still feel like yeah it has that for me and i've been in the cutting room and watching it the other night i saw it with bruce and we were in freehold new jersey and when those opening chords of rhinestone kick it's a great encore even though i know it's coming up i still get the high of going oh man he's playing that so
0: there's a moment In The Stuntman, when Bruce actually sings himself to tears, it's obviously quite striking.
1: Yeah, I feel like I want to be with my camera in a place... That gives him space to perform. I don't want to step on any of the energy of his performances. I think about Long Time Coming with Springsteen on Broadway and I think about Chasing Wild Horses and uh, I'm most happy with that because he's not aware of camera. He's deep in that character and his eyes tell me that and it makes for a really powerful shot and performance. And uh, I'm just lucky to work with a group of people who get in sync to those quiet moments. Shooting live rock is a lot of fun and with a lot of movement, people running across the stage and max on drums. But a quiet song is a lot harder to capture sometimes.
0: How do you relate to what Bruce does to the art of acting? Because there's something going on that's akin to it sometimes. But it sometimes seems like, I mean, he's inhabiting these characters in these moments so which is kind of like acting but it's kind of something else and but when you get it on film it, it starts to be judged by the same criteria it's kind of a fascinating area to think yeah, about
1: i never think about it as acting i love the idea that i've heard him talk about this as like stepping into the shoes of the character and that i've witnessed on western stars song by song i watched him step into those characters uh, the eyes of uh, bruce on western stars the song and chasing wild horses they're two different men they're two different series of losses and as a filmmaker I respond to those characters. I never really think about him acting because I feel like what's coming across is authentic. I think what the camera shows for me in in the cutting room again and again is that the power and the intensity and the emotions are coming across in his face and there's not a lot happening. He's not emoting. (laughs) It's not acting. But behind the beauty of those words, behind the sonic qualities of Western stars, you just try to get in sync with it and not step on it. So chasing wild horse is a thing I keep referencing because for me, that's a one track in the movie that I got to try some new things and new tempos of editing and shooting it in a certain way. Elaborate on that a little bit. You know, there's just moments of the camera lingering and waiting. And um, he has these narrative moments in the song where he calls out the woman's name and then there's a pause and then he begins the song again. And I really wanted to trust my instincts that I can stay in that space with him. And in the editing room, you test your dialogue with yourself and like, oh, let's cut away to a wide and see what happens. Uh, I just lost it. I lost the magic of being with him again and again you keep trying new things with the performance but let the music be the guide and with that song especially i felt like i got a close-up that i wanted for years which was an intensity of his face and his eyes that wasn't like springsteen on broadway shot straight on it's more of a three-quarter shot and you just track around him and it almost worked like a dialogue scene
0: we we're going to talk about the editing room because as you said you were there spending some more quality time with bruce as you know he was scoring right there he was editing with you. He's still surprising you. So how did that kind of work out?
1: It was my favorite part of the whole making of the film, which was there was a kitchen area next to the studio and uh, I set up a makeshift editing room and would work on his property. And it was just a quiet space to make this movie. It was a perfect environment. And I would talk to him at the end of the day and say, all right, let's regroup. And when do you want to? Get together and he said Let's start at ten and I said okay great I'll see you at ten and uh you know I get a text around eight thirty in the morning he said when are you coming by? And I said I'll be there around nine <laughs> and then But by by 9.05, we were editing. (laughs) We couldn't wait to get back. And um, every day he was coming back to the edit room with new pictures and new images and new ideas. And in the beginning, I was editing with just things that I had access to, like Getty photos and images in the vault. And then he started to incorporate photos that really meant a lot to him, like pictures of uh, Patty and Evan at the bench where they, he proposed and they had a lot of time together as a couple. So all of a sudden he started on a daily basis, coming to the edit room and really giving the film this rich layer of visual content to work with these voiceovers. And, you know, when you're a filmmaker, you don't let yourself dream of these kind of things. And, you know, I'm looking back at it now it's in theaters today. It's a crazy dream come true because it was two guys hanging out in New Jersey in a little kitchen, making a movie when scoring and it wasn't a big studio film and it ended up being something that I'm so proud of and I'm thrilled that it's going to be out there in theaters and it's a great thing to see again on the screen. For me as a fan, I just love to hear this band perform this in a theater environment. We mixed an Atmos and, uh, and surround. So the beauty that Ron and Bruce brought to the strings, it's just a really powerful cinematic experience for me as a filmmaker.
0: Let's talk more about Bruce's kind of visual sense. To what extent is he like, you know, what if we dowied in here? Is he that detailed in the way that he kind of uh, approaches the thing?
1: You know, I think about the details of working with Bruce. I was doing a video once and um, we worked on the color red of the curtain. We did about 17 versions. (laughs) And I just use that as an example because by the end, I got what he was going for, which was it was a certain red that made the shot pop. And the song needed that. I remember making the Darkness film and seeing a very young Bruce and John work together and and discuss details of the mix and a lot of things that came across in the interviews that's the same guy who works in the edit room it's the same process and he brings so much to my films in that way of the visual references and like there's no B-roll in this movie there's no let's just put that in and it works Uh, things are thought out you know the home movies themselves were really important who was in the home movies what kind of rituals were going on what is shown in the film that just gives you a feeling that works with the voiceover, doesn't compete, doesn't nail it completely. There was this moment with a little kid with a birthday cake that we both loved where the kid puts his hands up towards the cake and it's just a great visual. There's certain things that you just can't explain, they work and Bruce is a great co-pilot in that zone of trying things trying things in the edit room. John Landau too, I have to say. John is huge influence for me.
0: One of the things that is surprising about the movie that makes it powerful is it totally recontextualizes the album because listening to the album, it's a bunch of stories about characters who are clearly not Bruce Springsteen. And by the time you're done with the movie, you're like, is this his most personal album? You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I also think that the decision to bring Patty into the narrative on those two songs makes it a different experience than the album and the voiceover and and the themes that he talks about really opened up a whole new understanding of the music and uh i think bruce summed it up best which is we hope that this film comes out there and you literally come in with your partner and by the end you're holding hands and i thought when he said that that really summed up the whole experience
0: so you actually have a johnny cash movie
1: I have a Johnny Cash movie playing in L.A. today and simultaneously the Western Star is opening up. So that's a bit of a surreal dream.
0: (laughs) It's a good day.
1: Yeah, it's a good day. And I I, I just come back to the place of being really grateful. And uh, I'm excited to share this with the fans of both Johnny Cash World and Bruce. And uh, I'm just grateful to have these journeys with these artists and look forward to the next chapters
0: Tom Zimney, thanks so much for being here today. It was great to have you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106 at 1 p.m. on Friday. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. They're always appreciated. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.